Good morning. It's nice to see all of you all. Uh, I do want to say on a side note that after a wonderful week of conference, hearing our great speakers, uh, it's kind of unfortunate for all of you to have to come down and hear me uh, this, this morning, but you guys are going to have to bear with me, all right? Um, this morning, I wanted to uh, go into, and we've been tracking through First Thessalonians, and chapter 4 fell upon me as our brother Mark asked me to speak on chapter 4. And uh, as I was studying it, I realized this is not an easy thing to bring up. Um, I want to say even that uh, this message might not be a, a PG uh, message, uh, as, as you'll see. But one thing is, it, we have to do is that we have to, uh, we want to look at Scripture as it says. You know, we don't want to change it. We don't want to sugarcoat it. You know, much of Christendom today, uh, when you go to, many people go to church because they don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about uh, the bad things that are they're doing that impact God, right? They don't want to hear that stuff. Um, and, but that's, that's not, that's not the, the, the type of assembly we are. And so as we're tracking through, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is uh, the chapter that I've been given. Um, so uh, we're going to go ahead and try to break into that. It's going to be split up into two parts. So it's not a long chapter. Uh, it's uh, 18 verses. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to do eight verses this morning, and we're going to try to tackle the, the last 10 verses tonight. Uh, I kind of, in my mind, how I broke it up is it's sanctification, and then it'll speak of glorification with some extra this evening. Um, let's just uh, pray before I say anything else, because I don't know what to say. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we were a weak people. We were a people without understanding. We were a people caught in sin because the first man, Adam, sinned. And now we, we inherited that sin nature from him. And yet, this morning, as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he did for us, it's because of his sacrifice that now we can say we're free. We're his children. We're your children. We're part of this family of God, adopted what a wonderful thing that is. I just pray, Father, that as, we, as I share from your word, this is your word. Uh, I pray that uh, your power would be said, your power would be spoken of, the things of you would be shared. I don't know how to say these things. I don't know. I'm not articulate, but um, Lord, you are a God who works in mighty ways. So we just thank you uh, that you are that kind of God. And this morning, we just ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I, I want to say I'm about to try and tackle the elephant in the room. Something that uh, may be bigger than we want to recognize. Something that uh, may reach the influence in the hearts of, I don't know how many people, maybe some here, uh, may, many outside these walls. It's something that many people like to brush under the carpet and not really think about, especially maybe in the church today. Uh, we don't really like to deal with the issue. It's kind of an awkward issue. It's uh, shameful, really. And so you don't want to talk about it with other people. It's embarrassing. 
in our minds. And when you see someone else struggling, and maybe it's, uh, it's this particular sin, you don't even know how to exactly approach it. You don't know how to bring it up. You don't know how to, to, sh to talk to this person. And uh, all of this to say, before I, I, I start throwing some st statistics out here and continue on, uh -huh. Paul is speaking to believers in the church at Thessalonica. That's, a, that's a, the most important thing. I, uh, Rachel told me, don't try to go into too much intro because everybody's already done intro. We've had three chapters where they started with intro and broke in. So don't do the intro. Just start your message. And so I told her, I have a lot of intro, but it's not really the historical background and things like, like that. Um, the one important thing is that he's speaking to the believers. He's speaking to Christians. This morning, if you don't know what that means, if you don't know what a Christian is, if you don't know what it means to be saved, if you don't know what it means to trust Christ as your Savior, what any of these terms mean, that's the most important thing that you need to know this morning. That if you, if you don't know that you're a sinner, that, that's one thing you have to recognize. Is that all of us are sinners. We all make mistakes. It's, just, it's so easy to, when you talk to people, uh, and when you share the gospel with people, and you're, you're trying to get to the point where they under, understand and recognize that they're sinners. You know, there's a brother named Ray Comfort who goes through uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and he'll point out, have you done this? Have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you stolen anything? And, you know, any one of these things makes you, let's just say, if you've lied, you're a liar. If you've cheated someone, uh, you're a cheater. If you, and he lists all these things, and he points out, you are a sinner. And this morning, that's one thing, if you haven't recognized that, if you don't understand that, that's what you need to realize, is that you're a sinner. And the only way that you can be saved is the fact that God sent his only begotten son into the world to die on a cross for us so that we can be saved. His blood shed this morning. We thought about how we were redeemed, that the Lord Jesus was sent. He suffered on a cross he rose again on the third day so that we could be bought back. That's what the word redeemed means, is that he bought us back. He created us, and he allowed us to, I mean, he allowed us to, to make our own decisions. Our own free will led us away from him. But he bought us back. That's the kind of God he is. And this morning, that's the most important fact that you have to know today, that you have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, or the Bible says, you will be lost. You will be condemned. You already are condemned for all of eternity. Continuing on. So I, I've mentioned something. There's an elephant in the room. Some people might be struggling with this issue. And if this issue is unchecked in the body of Christ, if it's unchecked in the church, it can be devastating, especially for the, the long term of, of the growth of the believers and the church overall. What is this? What is this sin, you ask? Uh, this morning, we're going to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about sexual immorality. And I looked at some statistics that the Barna Group and Josh McDowell... I don't know if uh, you guys are familiar here with him. He's an author. He's a writer. Um, he's also an apologist. And some of the things that they found as they took some surveys is that more and more now, and I don't know that, maybe in the past it was the same, but
But more and more now, people are more accepting of sexual immorality, even in the church. Um, people are thinking that that's a societal norm. It's okay. You know, that's, the parties in the colleges, the parties in high school, all of these things are okay because that's just normal. That's just the way things are. You know, that's, that's, how you gotta, that's how you become popular. You go to these parties, you enjoy uh, just the, the, the promiscuity and all of that, and it's okay because everyone is doing it. The, the studies show that, uh, it's, 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 I mean, when I was looking at these studies, it's not, a, you know, it's not exact, it's not 100%, but some of the studies sh showed that about 50% of adults feel that viewing porn is wrong. Only about 50%. The crazy thing is, if you go look, survey young adults and teens, that percentage drops 20% to 30% of teens and young adults thinking that pornography is, is bad or wrong. When, when you, uh, the, the number is one in three Americans seek out pornography at least once a month. 56% of teens and young adults believe that recycling is more immoral than viewing pornography. That was shocking to me. <laughs> Recycling is more immoral. Um, there are many statistics, uh, many other statistics that show just how the uh, people are so accepting of sexual immorality. Fornication and adultery are just rampant. It, and the thing is, it's, it's not nothing new under the sun. It's been happening for Generations. You go all the way back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and you see that God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the main reasons is because of sexual immorality. I was, I had uh, an opportunity for a few years to be a teacher's aide at a middle school, and I got to know a lot of these students, and they just, I just listened to them because. If you don't talk and you listen to these kids, they tell, you learn a lot of things. They just say it out, and they don't realize they're giving you so much information. So I'm just listening to them, and a lot of these kids are coming from broken homes, coming from homes where their parents are divorced and their parents are cohabiting with someone else, and it's almost like they're just kind of bouncing around from uh, one partner to another, and the, the, the biggest part is they don't even realize how much it's hurting their children. The, the kids are saying it. The kids are hurt, and they're telling me this, but they don't even, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just saying it. And it just, you know, you hear it so often. I heard it so much at the middle school that I was wondering, are there any parents who, who are still together? You know, because so many of these kids are talking about their parents are divorced. And when I would go to ask, tell them, you need to ask your, your parents for help, I, I kind of had to change my verbiage and say, you need to ask your guardian for help, because I don't know who's at home. There was a, one, one boy that I got to know a little bit, and he was one that, he was a, a trouble, troubled kid. He liked to cause trouble. But the thing is, all he wanted was attention. And, and when I would give it to him, he wouldn't act out. I, I just listened to him. And listen to what he had to say. And he, he just, for, we got along just fine, but everyone else had so much difficulty with this kid. This kid was always in the office because of something that he had done. And there was one day where 
he came into my class and he asked me, guess what I heard? Well, guess what I just heard in the, the office? And you know, I have no idea what he's about to say. And he proceeded to tell me that there were some teachers in the, the lounge cafeteria area for the teachers. And apparently they're talking about going to bars, um, doing things like that. And one of the teachers said, you know, if, if it wasn't for my kids, I would cheat on my husband. And this is, this is what this, this boy is telling me that he heard in the office. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, how do you respond to that? You know, when you tell these kids, don't, don't cuss, don't swear, they say, my parents say it. <laughs> what am I supposed to say to that? And this is the example that has preceded them that they're, they're following this example. This young generation is following this example. And this society that we're in now, the Hollywood and media has so turned and twisted people's understanding of sexuality that it's everything that we see in the Word of God. When you look at Hollywood, it's the opposite. When you look at the media, it's the opposite. It's amazing. And we know that the Word of God says that's what the, what's going to happen. Uh, but this morning, uh, we're going to continue to look at, or we're going to, since we've been looking at First Thessalonians, we're going to continue to look at what the Apostle Paul shares with the brethren in Thessalonica. So, starting in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, as Paul starts off, your version, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Your version might say a different word, but then if NASB starts off with, finally, finally then, brethren. And this isn't Paul's uh, move to going into the conclusion, but this is actually, he's going to speak of other matters. And he says, we request and exhort. So he's going to, he's entreating, he's begging, he's uh, this is uh, the word that he's uh, of request. That's, this is the idea, that he's requesting them. He's begging them because this is, this is not an easy matter to discuss with them. But Paul is w not one, uh, as some might have said, he's not one to hold punches. He says it like it is. And he exhorts, he t and, which meaning to encourage pointedly or directly. So we're going to go into what he's exhorting to the church at Thessalonica. One thing is interesting is that he says that you excel, excel still more. So this is, I mean, 
Mark explained about how this is a young assembly. This is a young church. They haven't been around for very long. Paul was in Thessalonica for maybe three weeks, maybe a month, maybe a little bit longer than that, but not much longer. And this church, it seems, has been established, and they're going on for the Lord. And when you read Thessalonians, you're thinking, this is, you know, these guys are doing well. And he says here, that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, he says, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. I want you to go beyond what you've been doing. You've been doing well. You've been growing. You've been following the Lord. But this idea of excel still more is one of the words that's used to, to translate in the original is to superabound, to go on further. It seems that the idea is like an athlete who makes it to the Olympics. You know, that is very imp- impressive, you know. An Olympian, someone who's made it to the Olympics, is someone who trains all their life to get to the Olympics. They work very, very hard. They're so focused on, I'm going to run this race. I'm going to play this sport. I'm going to do this event, whatever it is. They're so focused on the sport that they, they want to do as best as they can. And their goal is, you know, we all know, the gold medal. They want that gold medal, and they're going to do whatever it takes to get that gold medal. And that's the idea. And it's, you know, our own uh, Scotty McKay, who works as an athletic trainer, uh, that was one of his, his goals, was to make it to the Olympics. And he, want, he's a, he wanted to be an athletic trainer at the Olympics. He was, his goal was, when he first set the goal, I think it was about... 10, 11, 12 years out, he said, if I could make it to the Olympics this year, that would be awesome, you know, and that was his goal. And God is gracious, God is good, and he, he got a job with the, the USA uh, track and field team, he's traveling all over the world, uh, and he's actually going to most likely be at the Olympics in a couple years, which is amazing, you know, and this is, his, his, that was his goal, he was focused on that. He, and if you, if you listen to him talk, if you hear well, the things that he does, he's so excited about it. He's so into it. And he, he, he knows, I mean, you ask him, he, he knows so much about it. You know, I, I go to him for a side ache or like my legs hurting, and he gives me all these tips and help, you know, help, helps that I can do, stretches that I can do. But that, that, that's the idea, that you want to excel more. Scotty has goals. These Olympic, Olympians, they don't want to just make it to the Olympics. They want to go much further. They want to get the gold medal. And this is what the Apostle Paul is telling these Thessalonians. You want more. Excel. That's what you're looking to do. Hopefully, uh, our prayer life would be like this. This is something that I was, I was thinking about. It's, prayer has been mentioned a few times in uh, a few messages recently. How do we, how do we as, as a, a group, how do we reach out to the Lord? How do we, what do we have to do? We have to call out to God. And that's one of the things that I wanted to encourage here as I'm giving this message we need to pray for this assembly. Uh, we, we're, we're just, we're, we're people here. 
you know, there's so many, you know, we have our sister Jennifer Brooks and our Peter Dumitrescu that are hurting. And their, their families are, are going through difficult times. We've got to pray for them. But in order to excel, in order to go further, in order to build each other up, we have to pray for each other. We have to be together and praying as, a, as one body because that's how we know what's going on in this assembly. One, uh, one uh, commentator, I like the way he phrased it, so I kind of stole this from him. He said, Christian, no matter what maturity level you are at, whether you think you are the most mature to the least, there is always room to become more like Jesus. And I think that's so true, is that there's many men in here, much more knowledgeable, much more well-studied, and I'm up here. <laughs> I wish I could, I could have... Uh, my dad right here, his, his memory is, is very, he remembers so many things, it's amazing. Like, I, I wish I could have that type of memory. But I don't have that kind of memory. And there are everyone, there are different levels of maturity in this room. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you haven't even trusted Christ. That's the first step you need to take. But as you're in your walk with the Lord, in your maturity level with the Lord. It doesn't matter. We should all want to excel. We should all want to go further. We should all want to do more for the Lord. And in verse 2 it says, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So he, he starts off with, in verse 1, and he says, We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. Then he says here in verse 2, we, The commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now I'm sure in the short period of time that the Apostle Paul was in the church in Thessalonica, he's probably trying to pour out everything he could. He was probably trying to give uh, the, these young believers everything that he could impart because he had just been beaten in Philippi. He knew that he could have been chased out of there at any time, I'm sure. He doesn't know what God's plan is exactly, but he knows, I'm sure, that he wants to give as much of the wisdom that God has given him to the assembly there. So I'm sure he's trying to give as much as he can, as much teaching. And here, uh, the commandments that he gave, one thing is, is, is so important about the way Paul mentioned this, is that the, uh, the commandments were given by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And I was thinking about it. There are times where I read the word of God and I, I, don't under, I don't pay attention to it like this is the authority of God. Is there anyone who's done that here? Or you, you, when you read the word of God, you didn't think as, as highly as you should about the word of God. And, and there are times where I've had to reread the passage multiple times because I'm thinking, I didn't pay attention again. Right? I'm sure there's some of you who've done the same thing. But... This, the Apostle Paul is trying to help them recognize that the, the, the things that I've told you, it's not from myself. I didn't, I didn't tell you because I came up with some grand idea. This is from God. And you have to understand that the authority is, is God. God speaking. Understand that. And in verse 3 it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So there, there are three parts that I, I'd like to think when it comes to sanctification that is being spoken of here. Um, number one is 
the first or the second part of verse three. Uh, number two is uh, verse four and five, and number. Or, I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my numbers. Number two is four and five. And number six is number three. The third point that I I want to focus on about sanctification. So, Paul is about to say, definitely the will of God. And in verse 3, it's the will of God is your sanctification. And many people, first thing that jumps off, off the bat is if you've heard a message on sanctification, it's being set apart, right? There's a purpose for you. You know, God, you want to be set apart for God, set apart for a work for God, set apart, if you read in, uh, our brother Sam is going to talk about it in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, being set apart for, for glory, for the, the coming of, of God coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, this sanctification um, is a process of making or becoming holy. Um, the idea that it is being set apart, but it's a, the idea is that sanctification is it's a progressive or practic practical sanctification. Something that happens gradually, that as we're walking with the Lord, as we're praying, as we're spending time in His Word, that we're getting closer to Him and we're, we're growing in Him. And growing in holiness of God. Understanding that God is holy. He hates sin. And we need to hate sin just like God hates sin. And in, over the span of your life, if you continue to follow the teaching that Paul is giving here by the authority of the Lord, this is, this is that, that, that way to excel. This is that way to, to, to go further. If you're, like I was mentioning earlier, if you're trying to make it to the Olympics, you're giving everything you have in order to excel. You're giving everything in order to follow the process of getting to the Olympics and the process of winning that gold medal. And that's the, that's the idea here. Um, when it says the, the first point of the three points that I want to hit about sanctification, when it says abstain, it's to, to keep off to be a way, to choose not to do, to refrain deliberately and often with an effort of self-denial from an action or practice. Let me read that again because I think this is important, this word. Abstain means to keep off, to be a way, to choose not to do, to refrain deliberately and often with an effort of self-denial from an action or practice. And then when you look at the next word, uh, sexual immorality, abstain from sexual immorality. That word is the word we get uh, porn from, porneia. And the original word used here is, uh, that's where it's derived from. That, I mean, or the, that's where the word porn comes from. And it's, uh, it's, to be honest, it's hard to go into all of this because as, even as a, in middle school and even younger than that, I've heard just, just talk of immorality like it was nothing. That, that's how it was. It's all, I mean, I don't know if how, it was, how it is for the kids now. I'm pretty sure it's about the same. But growing up, even in, I went to a, a, a Baptist Christian school. And even in a Baptist Christian school, I'm hearing probably some, the same amount of immoral talk that I would hear anywhere else. And uh, this word, if you go on to look at even more of the meaning, 
It means all kinds of illicit or unnatural sexual indulgence. The ancient writer Demosthenes expressed a view of sex in the ancient Roman Empire, and he's, this is what he says. We keep prostitute, prostitutes for pleasure. We keep, keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. That's just one of the thoughts that they had back in the day. And you can only imagine how perverse it was with the, if you understand, uh, just all the, the Roman culture and then the Greek culture, and you combine that and how perverse it was. Uh, and so chastity and sexual purity, probably, they were probably an unknown virtue. You know, people, it's just uh, a bygone thought. Nevertheless, when Paul says, Abstain from sexual immorality. He's exhorting the, the Christians, the believers there, that the Christians need to take their standards of sexual immorality from God and not from the culture. That's what he's trying to exhort to them. That it's not about following the world. It's not about following what everyone else is doing. Even if it looks cool, even if it's flashy, even, even if it looks fun, it's not about that. It's about following God's standard as a believer, as especially these young believers. Think about it. They don't know that much. They had just gotten saved through Paul's ministry. They, they just learned the gospel. They just learned some of the things of, this, uh, the, of the word that Paul is trying to share with them. But, I mean, think about it. If you were a young believer at this time, I mean, even if you're a mature believer at this time, in this day and age, how we see some get sucked up into the world, to the worldly mindset, to the, the worldly culture of fun and just enjoy the, the pleasures of the world. But Paul's trying to warn them about that, to be careful about that. This is something that they shouldn't take lightly. And when you look at verse 1 through 3, and the way he breaks into this, he's serious. This is no joke. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. You don't have to turn there. It says, Flee immorality and every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. I don't want to go into what that means in terms of Sinning outside the body versus against his own body. If you want to have that conversation, we could do that afterwards. But the goal is to flee immorality, to abstain from immorality, to, to refrain deliberately. Because, dearly beloved in this assembly who are here this morning, we are getting attacked by the world. Everyone is. It's, 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 it's a barrage. It's, it's, it's like a machine gun firing away. And the kids who are on their smartphones or watching television or whatever it is, they're getting caught up in it. I think of even when I was growing up, and I remember, uh, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but um, I liked Britney Spears when I was younger. And some of you might have listened to her music. And I, I remember listening to her music and liking her in middle school when she was like a little teeny bopper that, like, you know, just a little innocent girl that she portrayed herself as. And as she grew older, you just saw just her lifestyle and just the way that she became a, a sexually immoral person. That, that's, 
And, and the thing is, my mom would ask me, I would have, this is also embarrassing, I would have pictures of Bernice Spears on my wall or things like that in my book. And she'd ask, why do you have that stuff in there? You know, why, why do you have pictures of women, you know? And to be honest, I just like, I mean, to me, I'm thinking, I just like girls, you know? I'm a, I'm a teenager. But all these things build up in, in one's mind. And I just want to say, that's all it takes. It just starts very innocently. And it can take off to something more. And that's kind of how the world kind of, and we heard it last week. And the, the funny thing is, I'm going through uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Our brothers, uh, Steve Price and Chris Schroeder actually went over chapter 4. So I'm basically just kind of doing a rerun of what they said, a review. But this is, this is so important, is that we need to pray for this assembly. It doesn't matter what age. You know, this affects everybody. This, the media, Hollywood, they're, they're into so many people's homes. And their idea of what is right is completely wrong. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18. Flee immorality and every other sin that a man commits. Or, excuse me, and every other sin. I'll just leave it at that. There's a, a young man in high school. He's a high school senior. And on April 27, 2019, about a month ago, this young man named Matthew Bowling from Houston Strake Jesuit High School ran the 100-meter dash in 9.8 seconds. That's amazing, right? That's an Olympic status. He, he, if he was at the 2016 Olympics, he would have gotten seventh place in the finals. That's how fast this kid is. And the funny thing is, his time wasn't put into the national record. I mean, this is <clears throat> by far probably one of the fastest time, maybe the, I think it was the fastest time that a high schooler ever ran, or one of them. And they're not putting this one in the national record. And I was thinking, why is that? So I kept on reading the article, and it said that his time wasn't recorded because he was aided by, a, uh, he was aided by the wind. So the wind measuring, the, how they measure it is, uh, if you're allowed plus or minus 2.5, meters per second and this kid had 4.2 meters per second so the wind was really pushing him in the back is what they're saying and so that's how he was able to run that fast but if you watch the video the other guys aren't even close to him he just blows them blows them away but what the point that I'm trying to make here by this story is he had the wind blowing him and it didn't really count when it comes to fleeing sexual immorality, when it comes to abstaining from sexual immorality, if you're a child of God, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, right? And in the Word of God, if you study the Holy Spirit, and our brother Steve Price last week mentioned it, about the wind hitting the sails and the boat, ship ta- or the boat taking off, that's what it's like for a believer, is that you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have the, His power, and you have the, His power to flee sexual immorality. That's what having the Holy Spirit is like. And it's not like this guy who had the wind. It's kind of nice that I, I mean, he ran very fast, uh, but his time didn't count in, in the, the big picture. 
Um, the second part uh, that I wanted to go over is verse 4 and 5. And it says this, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. <clears throat> so when I looked, at, looked up some of these words, uh, to possess is, is uh, the idea of it is like marrying a wife. And so some will say that this verse is saying that it's about, you know, marrying your wife and, you know, treating her, understanding that you treat her with sanctification and honor. But when you look at the context of this, and it's funny because this morning I asked Rachel um, as I was finishing up my studies, just what she thought of this verse, you know. What do you think it means to you? And uh, I told her the, the, this view of, some people think that it's speaking about a wife, this vessel. Because, uh, you know, in some ver a couple verses or a verse in Scripture, it is mentioned about the woman, be woman being a vessel. But it is, also in Scripture, a vessel can refer to items. And, and so, what is it? Well, she, she, when I told her about the wife theory, she, she thought it was the most ridiculous thing. And she's like, how can it be a wife? Like, look at the context of it. We're talking about sexual immorality. And it says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. This, how do we do that? You know, it's, a, it's so hard in this day and age. As I was saying, there's, we just, we're getting attacked. Everyone is. Our kids are. We've got to pray for our kids. We've got to pray for ourselves. We've got to pray for those in this meeting. Because without us understanding that we have the power of the Holy Spirit pushing us, and the Word of God helps us, and prayer helps us, these are things that help us to abstain from sexual immorality. And in order to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, the, the idea of it is to have self-control. You can't have self-control, right? It's hard. I don't know. I mean, for the most part, you think of, you know, in your everyday life, how easy is it to not get angry in a situation when you start feeling like your temperature is rising, someone is saying th something to you that you don't like, and maybe you start sweating, or whatever it is that happens when you start getting angry? It's hard. But well, you have to understand that when you, the idea of possessing your own vessel is the idea of understanding that it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to withstand. And verse 4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, not in lustful passion. The, the, what is pointing out here is uh, the desire, the craving of your heart, the longing, a uh, desire for what is forbidden. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who don't know God. Don't follow their example. They're not the example. They're not who we should be following. Who we should be following is the Lord Jesus Christ and his example in the word of God. And just for time's sake, I'm just trying to go through this as fast as possible. Verse 6 says, And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter 
because the Lord is avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. To transgress is to, to overreach, and defraud is the same idea, is you're overreaching. And this idea, I mean, there's different people who interpret it different ways, but to me what it seems to mean is that you think of David in the Old Testament and what happened with him. That he was supposed to go to battle with his army, but he decided to stay home. And so instead of going to battle, he's at home. Uh, and one evening, um, as he's walking around on his kingly rooftop, he sees a woman bathing. And then he gets intrigued. And he ends up calling her over. And he commits adultery. And you think, David, how could you do that? You're, you're the man of God. You're the one that's supposed to be the closest to God's heart. You're the apple of his eye. I mean, how do you get to that point? Someone like David, who you would never in a million years think that he would be able to commit such a thing. And then he goes and he sends, after he finds out that she becomes pregnant, he sends for her husband and calls him home. And then he tries to get her to, to stay with his wife and have relations with his wife so that it wouldn't look like it was his baby. I mean, David, what are you doing? You're supposed to be one of the closest men, one of the closest to God that we see, men of God in Scripture, and this is him. And then not only does he do that, all of that, but then Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, decides, I, while everybody else is in battle, I can't, I can't, I can't enjoy a time with my wife. Everybody else is, is, is fighting. That's where I need to be. And so then David sends him out, and he goes out with his own death sentence in his hand, and he hands it over. And then they end up going into the, sending him into the harshest part of the battle. They pull back, and he dies. And this is all orchestrated by David. I just can't, the more you, you know, you, you think of David, this man of God, he's supposed to be, you think of all the great things he did in the word of God when we read about him, and that's how hard he fell. And when I read this in verse 6, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. And what happens to David? That child that was born out of wedlock, God says, it's not, the baby's not going to survive. That's the, 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 the punishment that he had to receive. And it's interesting because God is not one. When it, he's, a, he's a righteous judge. He's, he's a, when it says he's an avenger, it's not like, I don't know if uh, many have, have seen the, the movie Avengers Endgame. But I might, if you don't want it spoiled, cover your ears right now. But in the end, in the, the movie before this, the end game, he snapped his fingers and all these different heroes disappeared. And then in the end game, in the very end, you see that somehow with different circumstances happening, they're able to reverse the disappearing of all these heroes and they all come back. And so I don't know what exactly they're avenging at that point. It's like, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a, a, I don't even know what to call it. But God is not like that. 
when, when something is to be avenged, he fulfills it. When he says it's going to happen, he fulfills it. And I'm just going to finish off by reading the rest of the verses. And For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. We're supposed to be set, up, set apart. Our purpose isn't for immorality. Verse 8, so he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And I'm just going to finish off uh, with this last story of, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Sam Salazar remembers this. But uh, we were up at Verdugo Pines, and it was one of the nights where uh, the, we do hide and seek, but it's the cabin leaders who hide. And so the cabin leaders, it, it's pitch, you know, it's night, so it's pitch black out there. The kids are allowed to use their flashlights. And all the cabin leaders go in, and if you've been to Verdugo Pines, it's, it's, it's a fun experience of just being able to hide in the dark. And the kids, a lot of the kids, I think it was, uh, what is it? I think it was the junior high camp. And a lot of them are kind of afraid of the dark. And so they're going around, and it's an unknown place. It's dark. And so they're, they're searching for us. And Sam and I, we decide this is probably a very unwise move on our part, looking in hindsight. But there was a bus that was parked at the bottom of the hill next to the parking lot. And we figured since the, it was on the border, so we were gonna, what we did was we climbed up, it was sitting on jacks, these, this bus, and we decided to climb on top of this bus and just lay down on it to hide. And there was a tree that kind of covered us. And so it was a, a pretty good hiding spot. And uh, I mean, I, I think we never, we never got found. And uh, kids would shine their flashlight in somewhere near the bus and say, we see you, but we're like, no, you don't. So we never came out. Um, but we had a, a one of, I don't know if you remember this discussion, but we were discussing some things. We had some good conversation up on that bus. And one of the things was about sexual immorality and the temptation, especially of our eyes. And we're talking about how, you know, different advice that we have been given. And Sam, one of the things, one of the advice that he had heard that he shared with me is that, you know, there's always going to be that temptation. You know, there's always going to be someone good looking that you can look at and you might let your mind wander about that good-looking person. But he said, someone told me, just bounce your eyes. And so I was like, what does that mean? He said, when you see the temptation, just look away and don't look back. Just bounce eyes. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, right? But that's a advice that I've taken for a long time. I've used a long time is bounce eyes. Look away. And Rachel... Uh, especially when we're dating, uh, there would be, say, like a commercial for, uh, or excuse me, we go, we were shopping in the mall, and you go by that one store that has all the lingerie. She's like, don't look over there. And it sounds silly, but it's, 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 it's a good, it's good advice. The reason being that when it talks about sexual immorality in scripture, we're supposed to flee from it. Uh, that's, that's looking away. That's bouncing the eyes. And so hopefully uh, some of the things that I shared with you are, I, and I didn't want it to be so, I don't know what the word is, um, not heavy, but um, I mean, this is, this is what the, the word of God says. So uh, we went over it. <laughs> there you have it. Um, we're out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, uh, as we've looked into your word about how you feel about sexual immorality. 
how you feel about this sin. It's a sin that hurts your heart. It's a sin that the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross for. It's a sin that is so prevalent in this world that it's hard to get away from. And yet, Father, I pray for the protection of those that are here. I pray that this would not be an impact on their lives. This would have no effect because Satan's arrows would not harm those that are here. Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us away from any of these, any of the things that are false, any sin. Father, we want to be strongly entrenched in your word. We want to be praying, we want to be a praying people. We want to be as close to you as possible that the things of the world would fade away. Father, we ask that you would give us the strength. And if there's anyone here who has not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray, Father, that they would get right with you today. Just thank you for just this time. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.